Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Previously on The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, a forensic officer describes seeing Brenda's body at the murder scene. Long hair was down over her face, shoulders, absolutely matted with blood. He was asked whether the killer could have fitted in a wardrobe to lay in wait. Someone could hide in that wardrobe. And hopes dashed of linking a bloodstain to the murder after misunderstanding by a police lab. We don't want it human blood tested. We want to know, is it blood group A or blood group O? It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife, Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. It's still day five, and we were all reeling from the revelation that a mistake over what type of blood test had been requested had destroyed the opportunity to prove the speck of blood on the inside of Kit Harrison's watch strap was Brenda's blood type. But retired forensic officer Eric Jensen had yet to go through all the findings, and in particular, what was found in the vacuum samples from Kit's car and a point of entry into Brenda's flat. Did you examine the contents from the recovered uh, debris from the vehicle which you told us about? From Mr. Harrison's vehicle? Yes. Yes. Yeah. What did you find? Well, the one thing that I can certainly recall, because it seemed quite important, was a tiny flake of green paint with four layers. Did you examine the contents of the recovered debris from the point of entry at 13 Allen Street? Yes. What did you find? 
a tiny piece of paint which looked identical to what? Ide sorry, identical to the one from recovered from the footwell of Mr. Harrison's car. All this being done under the microscope, of course. Yes. Now, you told us already that there was a, a table-like structure with a towel on top of it, and we can see that with a lamp. Did you have to move that, if we call it a table, did you have to move that table to get to where you used your vacuum device? Almost certainly. So where did you recover the debris on the occasion <coughs> that you used the vacuum device in that room? Well, as I said earlier, a combined sample, vacuum sample, from the inner edge of the window, uh, uh, from memory it was very narrow. Yes. From the skirting, skirting board, at floor level, just above floor level, beneath, and possibly out nine, 12 inches, out from, the from that back wall of the carpet, right. up to the edge of a rug. Right. And do you think, you, you, as you say, almost certainly had to move that table or whatever it is out of the way to I get I would have def definitely, De definitely, I would have had to move that okay. table. Can we see there for in the photograph that if one wanted to stand right up next to the window, would that table have to be moved or is there room behind it? The table is very, very close to that wall. Right. It's unlikely to be touching the wall because, yes. of course, there's a skirting, but yes. it all depends on the style yes. of table. So the paint flake that you've described, which was within the recovered debris, from what you've said, does that mean it must have come from either the, the bottom of the windowsill or the skirting board or the carpet area? That is correct. Could that be explained by it being deposited if someone climbed through that window and had such a paint flake on their clothing? Or footwear. Or footwear. Absolutely. There may be other explanations. If yeah. we rule out planting of evidence, yes. No, well, it, it, there's a range of explanations. All I'm wanting to understand is one explanation could be that the person who entered that window could have deposited it there. Yes. It would also be fair to say that you cannot tell us anything about when that paint flake was deposited. Correct. And it follows, therefore, you can't say it was necessarily contemporaneous with someone entering that window. Yes, correct. In other words, it could have been there for a long time before someone entered that window. Yes, but nevertheless, there is still a possible link. Yeah. Going back to the microscopic comparison that you made of the two paint flakes, could you explain that process for us? It might sound obvious, but I'd like you to take us through that, please. The apparatus used would have been a stereo microscope, binocular-headed stereo microscope. Um, 
clearly the the the, the two productions, if I can call that call it that, wouldn't be opened at the same time. Would yes. be sifting through and noting what we had in in one, yes, and then packing that away, cleaning the table, opening the next one, sifting through and seeing if there was anything that matched. Aha! Little bit of green paint. Right, let's get that out, put it in a wee dish, go back to the other one, clean the table again if need be, bring out the little bit of green paint, put it in a wee dish, and then bring the two wee dishes together right. so that they could be viewed side by side, possibly manipulated <laughs> with f very fine forceps. Lighting could be adjusted, possibly looked at under UV light as well as visible light. Um, because it's paint, and because one of the samples came from a vehicle, we would also be considering could the paint in the, in the footwell of Mr. Harrison's car be part of the control paint of that vehicle, so certain eliminations would need to be done at the same time. Yeah. So these are the sort of things that we would be considering and how it would be compared. You would certainly have to turn a fragment side on, maybe use higher magnification to see, have we got a layer structure? And, and the same with the, the other fragment. Again, they, were, they were indistinguishable. Yeah, again, it might be obvious in the term, but when you talk about a layer structure, what do you mean by that? Um, when we look at paint in the laboratory, we consider layer structure, which just means that there's different coats have been put on at different times, one coat having been allowed to dry before the next one goes on, so that there's a distinctive layer structure, all on a micro microscopical scale. Now, in vehicles, do, do you have any uh, knowledge about the way in which vehicles, when manufactured, are, are painted? I think that would be for someone else to answer. I see. All right. Thank you. But in any event, what you saw were layer structures on these two samples of paint. Yes. And and the paint matched. Right. Were there any differences? Not that one could see in terms of what we did. This is why we use the word, although my statement, I think, I'd only been in the job 18 months or thereabouts, used the word identical. But I became more used later to using the word indistinguishable, yeah. which meant that the two items were indistinguishable by the range of techniques that we used to compare them. But that then meant that yet another technique not available to us could show a difference. So, you had a sample from Mr. Harrison's car of paint, paint fragment. The paint fragment from the, what you say is the point of entry at Allen Street. The inside of the point of entry. Yes, the inside of the point of entry. And you compared these two. Yes. What was your conclusion? My statement said 
they are identical. And today, would you use the same word? I would tend to use the word indistinguishable. Right. But when you use the word indistinguishable, it usually covers you've, you've compared them using different techniques. Okay. Whereas the, the, the ones in this case were only visually compared. There was no chemistry done. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. That concluded the examination in chief, which you'll have noticed went into a lot of detail about procedures on collecting evidence, as that was what was about to be severely tested in cross-examination by KC Brian McConaughey. Mr Jensen, the ladies and gentlemen will be familiar these days with the various television programmes that we see where we have police officers, forensic scientists, pathologists, etc., all dressed up in the forensic suits with the hoods on and so on. Yes. That's not where we were in 1978, is that correct? Correct, sir. And when you went into a property, let's start with Allen Street, you mentioned, I think, that you would be wearing a, a white lab coat, is that right? I would either be wearing it... Um, at the point of walking in or put it on immediately inside the front door. Right. And so far as the rest of your body was concerned, your trousers just be your normal trousers? Yes. Shoes, your normal shoes? Yes. Gloves? Pardon? Gloves? We would have disposable gloves depending on what we were expected to handle. But if you're using fine forceps, Wearing gloves isn't necessarily the best idea. Right. What were you using fine forceps for? Retrieving trace evidence. Right. In this particular case, though, you were retrieving quite bulky items at times. Fibres from the point of entry. Well, no. I was thinking more duvets and quilts and sheets. You don't need forceps for that. I realise that. But they were things that you were recovering. Yes, and if they were bloody, I'd be wearing clothes. I'd be wearing gloves. Mm -hmm. And having taken, for example, the pillowcase or the pillow, what would you then do? Put it into a bag. Then what would you do? Seal the bag. How? Different methods. I'm interested in the methods you used, if you remember. Well, we used different methods. Um, I don't specifically remember what was used in that case, but you could fold the top of the bag several times and put in several staples. A lot would depend on the bulkiness of the item. You could fold the bag several times, often polythene, sometimes paper, and put a strip of sellotape to seal it. 
you could rustle up the top of the bag and tie on a bit of string. Did, did there think, were different techniques. Did, did you think rustling up the top of a bag and tying a bit of string on it was a, a good method of sealing a bag? Very good method if you did it properly. Right. Uh, having taken an item, any kind of item, such as a pillow, having packaged it, moving on to the next item, what would you do then? Well, of course, one would need to write something on the side of the bag. Okay. And then moving on to the next item. Yes. Um, well, if it was an additional item of bedding, then one would need another bag. What about changing your gloves? For the separate items on one bed? Uh -huh. No, one wouldn't change the glove. No. So how did you avoid cross-contamination from one item to another? That wouldn't be relevant in my view. Well, at just, one just scene. Answer, just answer my question at the moment. How would you avoid cross-contamination between one item and another? Well, if by using the technique I've described, the, the, gloves, the gloves could well transfer, but if, if something was wet with blood, and you put it in a, well, you, would, you wouldn't put it into a polythene bag for a start. That would go into a giant paper bag, something wet with blood. And your gloves were contaminated. You would not then want to leave bloody glove prints on the next item. So clearly you would change your gloves. You told me you wouldn't. You were talking generally. I asked you what would happen with the next item. Would you change your gloves? And you said no. You were talking generally. And you explained you wouldn't need to on the same bedding. Specific circumstances dictate specific actions. Oh. Do you remember changing your gloves in this case? I don't even recall if I was wearing gloves. So you might not have been even wearing gloves. You might not Sorry. even have been wearing gloves. I, I do not recall... If it was bloody bedding, I probably was wearing gloves. I wouldn't want to catch anything nasty. So far as the window that you've been shown and the window you've referred to is concerned, am I right in understanding that what was deduced had happened was that the window had effectively been prized open? Definitely. The pane, had, pane of glass had not been removed. Correct. There's some discussion about labelling and the flat sheet being labelled as a fitted sheet, the type of sheet which would have elastic corners, and they agree that it was a flat sheet. Mr McConaughey asks if the bedding would have been bagged up together and Mr Jensen said it's most likely the duvet and cover would have been in one bag to be transported from the scene and then separated at the lab. When you went to 12 Mile End Place, you said, I think, your first visit there was primarily to take possession of the vehicle. Yes. 
Uh, and you were asked, I think, by the Learned Advocate Depute whether there were other people there, and you said CID men, if I noted you correct. Yes. What, what were they wearing? Probably normal clothing that they would wear carrying out their normal duties. And would they have been CID officers who were also at 13 Allen Street? I don't think any CID officers um, who would have been at Mr. Harrison's house were at Allen Street. Right. It would have been separate. From memory, it was separate. I can tell you who was at Allen Street. But you can't, can't tell us who was at 12 Mile End Place. Correct. So far as the motor vehicle is concerned, n nowadays, as I understand it, what would happen is that the police would get a vehicle recovery company to collect the vehicle, put it on a trailer, and take it back to the police station for examination or a lock-up, whatever. You drove the vehicle. Correct. And there may or there may not have been somebody with you when you drove the vehicle. Correct. When you spoke about wearing a boiler suit and welly boots, is that when you were driving the vehicle? Yes. And by that point in time, had you been inside 12 Mile End Place? Whether it was before or after leaving with the vehicle, well, it couldn't have been after leaving with the vehicle. Not that day anyway. Um, I may have been momentarily in. I'd have been asked to go in for some reason or other. I cannot remember. But I, I, I do remember being in momentarily almost. O on that day? On that day, yeah. Wearing what? Wearing the, boi the boiler suit and the, which I left headquarters, police headquarters, wearing welly boots and the boiler suit. So because I'd said to myself, aha, avoidance of cross-contamination. How did you avoid cross-contamination between entering 12 Mile End Place and entering the car? Well, those two things are connected. In what way? The house and the car are linked. Right. Because so you this gentleman lives in the house and that's his car. So, so you wouldn't avoid, avoid cross-contamination? Well, this, yes, in theory... We wouldn't even use the word cross-contamination in that context. Oh. Or I, I wouldn't. Well, what would be to have, for example, stopped you taking debris from the house into the car on your account? That would have been possible. Mr Jensen, we've seen a, a photograph, I think you were showing it, of the, the bedroom in which the deceased was found. I, I, I don't have any need to, to put it back up again. But it, it would be fair to say there was a significant quantity of blood. Of what, sorry? Blood. Blood in, in the room where yes. the deceased was lying? Yes. Yes. And... Am I right in saying that an examination of the property showed that there was blood on the handle of the bedroom? Of the large bedroom leading to the living room, yes. 
The one in which the deceased was found? Yes. And am I also right in saying there was blood on the inside of the front door handle and uh, on the outside of the front door? Yes. And from a, an analysis, I suppose, of what was seen, did it appear at least as if that may well be blood which had been transferred there by uh, Dr Page's assailant? Yes. So the, the assailant in carrying out the assault themselves gets blood on their hands or on their clothes or whatever the case may be, and that blood can then be transferred onto other items such as door handles. Yes. And would that be one of the reasons why securing access to any motor vehicle that might be thought to be involved would be important to get that done as quickly as you could? Yes. And you were able to secure access to Dr. Harrison's motor vehicle the next day. Did you say the next day? I did. I In fact, it might be that day. I would have secured it that day when it was driven to the police office. That's right. So you, you, did you pick up the motor vehicle from his house? Yes. Yes. So the vehicle was in the hands of the police from the evening of the 14th of July. Correct. And one of the things you did as a result of having the vehicle was to see if you could find traces of blood. I had already partially screened it at the scene, at, at, at uh, Mr. Harrison's home, before driving it. There was no point in my sitting in the car to take it to the police office for a thorough examination in, and spoiling the evidence by simply holding onto the steering wheel and sitting in the driver's seat. So I had screened it partially before driving it to the police office. How had you screened it partially? Probably with a chemical called luminol. Which shows up blood. It luminesces in the dark if there is blood there. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't be dark, of course, at that time. Um, what time are we talking about? Well, you tell me, you were there, I wasn't. Well, I can tell you that on the 14th of July, Sunset is at four minutes to ten. So work it out for yourself. Well, I can't because that doesn't help me as to when you took possession of the car. Uh, well, I can't remember. No. Well, fact of the matter is, whatever you did to test for the presence of blood, you then took the vehicle to the police station. I did. And the vehicle was there, capable of being tested in any way that the police chose to no. see whether or not they could no. find. No. Why not? It was there to be tested in any way that I and my colleagues chose until we got back to get on with the examination the following day or the day after that. But the police would instruct you as to what they wanted you to do. No. We knew what we had to do. Well, we were forensic scientists. The whole purpose of forensic scientists, particularly in those days, was to carry out the tests that the police wanted you to carry out. Negative. Negative what? If we were asked to investigate a crime, the initiative lay with us. 
We didn't want the police interfering with our side of it. And we did not interfere with the police side of it. I was never at any briefing. I didn't know what else was happening in that case, even though I was a detective sergeant in the laboratory. We each had our own duties to do, and we knew what we had to do, and we got on with it. Right. And if the police wanted you to do something in particular, how would you know? Well, they would communicate. Right. So, the tests, so far as blood was concerned within the vehicle, were negative, correct? Correct. At 13 Allen Street, amongst the things that you recovered, did you find a pair of ladies' pants in the bathroom? Yes. And did you take them for analysis? Yes. Can you have a look for me, please, at crown label number 18? It's the, the watch strap. Uh, am I right in saying there appear to be a number of different labels attached to that particular labelled production? Yes. And would it be right in thinking they're not all yours and they will... Many of them will post-date the date of your involvement? Yes. And that might be indicative of various other tests perhaps having been carried out over the years. Indeed. The way it is now, is that the way you would have packaged it or is it different? It has been heat sealed. It looks as if nothing can get out, nothing can get in. Um, I would say that is adequately sealed. No, that wasn't my question. Is it packaged as you sealed it or packaged the way someone else has sealed it? Oh, this is someone else's sealing. Oh. You, you were asked questions by the mm. Leonard Advocate Deputy about the vacuum sample that you took from what was deemed to be the point of entry. Mm-hmm. And he asked you about moving the, let's call it a table because we don't seem to know what it is, but he asked you about moving the table prior to doing so. Yes. Uh, and we had mentioned, I think you mentioned, that there was something on top of that table. There was a towel. A towel. And did you take possession of that? I did. Did you hoover that or vacuum it? No. At any stage? Specifically, I do not recall if we did so at the laboratory. It would have been examined thoroughly at the laboratory, but whether hoovering was the chosen method of examining it, I do not remember. I appreciate it's a long time ago, but do you know whether you took possession of that towel before you did the vacuuming at the point of entry? Definitely. You did? Oh, yes. And... When you moved the table, which I think you've assumed you must have done, had the towel been moved by that stage? Oh, yes. You you recall that or you're just thinking that must have been the way it worked? No, one would do things very carefully in order. Could you have a look at crown label number 64 for me, please? This is the item which I think is labelled the vacuum extract that we've been talking about. Is that packaged again as you packaged it or has that been 
opened and repackaged? Possibly opened and repackaged multiple times. It's certainly not in the, the way that I would have last seen it. All right. And similarly, and I think lastly for my purposes, could we have production 136? Now, the, the description of the article on the label is hoovering from inside 13 Allen Street at point of entry. And then it says it was found at the main production store, Grampian Police, is that right? Yes. Queen Street, Aberdeen. Yes. And the date on that label, if I can read it correctly, is either the 20th or the 28th of December 2001? The 20th of December 2001. So, uh, again, that's not a label that you applied to that particular item? Definitely not. So it's, And wh where it was between 1978 and 2001, I presume you can't help us with. Up until the stage at which I retired from the laboratory in 1995, it would have been in, secure, in a secure production room. Right. And who took it out and what they did with it? Not your... I have no knowledge. Okay. Thank you very much. The forensic techniques, lack of protective clothing and storage of evidence was always going to be challenged in a case of this age, but it would be hard to explain how a fleck of paint from Kit Harrison's car ended up at the point of entry to Brenda's flat. A question you'll hear Dr Harrison answer later in the trial. In the next episode of The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, the moment police had to break down Kit Harrison's door to arrest him in 2020. Knocking on the door, banging on the window. I think we were possibly there for 15 minutes. And eventually we had to call for support to force entry to the address. Did Brenda's neighbour see the shadow of her killer in her flat hours before she was killed? Just half a body I could see. I assumed it was Brenda. And a detective, the same height as Kit Harrison, proves entry through the tiny window was possible. At this time, we are within condo barracks are both for the purpose of a reenactment of the suspected point of entry by the assailant in relation to Operation Clarity. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done.